Got bridges to burn and places to run Yeah, the smile is a loaded gun It's my party, my body, my business It's my town and my crown and my hit list It's my world and you're just living in it Did I, did I, did I finish? They are my girls and it's us who's deciding It's our door, did we say you're invited? Leave your name and we'll call if we like it If we, if we, if we like it No more Mrs. Sweet and Miss Nice No more Mrs. Fucking Polite Time for Mrs. Taking What's Mine You Got bridges to burn and places to run Yeah, the smile is a loaded gun It's my party, my body, my business If he tries to control me, he's finished Won't be crying, there's plenty of fishes And I, and I, and I'm fishing You should know that you won't find another Who will ruin your life than your brothers Who will take what she's owed when she wants to Did I, did I, did I stutter? No more Mrs. Sweet and Miss Nice No Mrs. fucking polite Time for Mrs. taking what's mine You don't need him No more Mrs. letting it slide No more Mrs. shut up and smile Time for Mrs. taking what's mine You don't need him I got bridges to burn and places to run My bag and your party's done Got bridges to burn and places to run Yeah, the smile is a loaded gun Welcome to Worlds of DC Podcast, a podcast for all things DC. Today is Tuesday, June 9th, 2020, and you're listening to episode 15, The Wind Down with One Kathy Ann. My name is Mikey from Detroit. My name is Haley from New Jersey. My name is Keith from Virginia. I'm Tabitha from Miami. I'm Mike from North Carolina. I'm Jamari from Orlando. I'm Aaron from Texarkana, Texas. And I'm Kwamani from Memphis. Uh, this is our lineup today. Um, and if you didn't guess by the episode title, we also have a very, very special guest today. Um, she is the director of the wonderful recent DCEU movie, the most recent one uh, known as Birds of Prey. It's a Harley Quinn spinoff movie following her adventures after she breaks up with the Joker. Um, and that is the wonderful Kathy Yan. Um, hello, Kathy. Thank you so much for talking to us. Hello, and thank you for having me. And I love how diverse this group is. It's incredible. And I love your story of finding each other on Twitter and then representing basically all corners of America, too. This is pretty great. Yeah, it's awesome. And we love, uh, we also love, you know, the passion that you know, you have for making the Birds of Prey diverse as well, and, you know, the representation that you did as well. Um, but we'll get more into that with some of our questions that we have for you. Um, so we all, you know, kind of back and forth about what we should ask you, because we, you know, obviously we love the movie and we had a lot of questions. Um, but one of the biggest things that I personally wanted to know and what we kind of all just going to go through and ask what we, you know, we want, we want to hear um, but one of the biggest things that I wanted to know is, you know, the decision process behind why you wanted to make the movie, you know, have a more diverse cast. You know, these a lot of these characters were, you know, Caucasian in the comics and, you know, and you decided to go ahead and erase them like Black Canary and things like that. Um, and so with the current movement for like representation and diversity in Hollywood right now, um, which is something that, 
you know, obviously our podcast completely supports. Um, I just wanted to know, you know, how do you feel about that, you know, about having more representation and, and why was it so important for you to have it in Birds of Prey? Well, a lot of that credit has to go to Christina Hudson, uh, our screenwriter. So when, by the time I got the, and she actually had done a really good um, conversation, I believe it was on another podcast uh, called Script Notes. And she talked about this and the sort of responsibility, I think, that writers have or should have now in um, creating the diversity on the page in a way. And so it was actually her idea to create, uh, to, to make Black Canary Black. Um, and of course it was something that I absolutely supported as soon as I read it. And surprisingly, I, a little bit surprisingly, the studio did too. Um, and thankfully there wasn't you know, too much backlash about it. Um, and either, even if there were, we were all ready to take it. Uh, but she actually said, uh, you know, I think it's very important. I'm a, I'm a writer as well to be able to just write that in and then kind of see if you can get away with it in a way. And so she deliberately wrote, you know, the ethnicities of these characters and tried to um, diversify the, the page in, um, in the script at the script stage. And so that's kind of where it started. And then yeah. on out, when it came to casting, obviously in the leads, the script already called for what it called for. Um, I think there definitely was, I mean, so much of the movie was unconventional in a way, and it was clearly highlighting voices that aren't typical of the genre. And so I think it just made a lot of sense to continue to broaden it out. And that was something I always loved about the movie. It was just how innately diverse it felt and how the birds of prey, the women that get together, including Harley, kind of feel like a motley crew. You know, they don't seem like the sorority girls that are like meant to hang out together and then inevitably will like, be a good team. I like the idea that they all just, you know, were diverse in um, age and in ethnicity and um, even in, um, you know, sexual orientation. And so that was always like one aspect of the movie that I just totally loved and, and was embraced very early on. And then in terms of everything else, in, in, in terms of like extras casting and supporting roles, what, uh, what, when it wasn't written on the page, that was also a deliberate effort to make sure that there was just diversity across the board. We love that. That's awesome. awesome. Yeah, we love that. That's great. Um, um, so my other question, kind of, you know, as a response to that question, is a little bit, um, you had mentioned, you know, the backlash of Black Canaries casting. Um, my, you know, I actually, you know, with Jamari here, who created the hashtag, we actually had a hashtag called uh, Reasons to Support Birds of Prey. I don't know if you saw it, but it was basically- Thank you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, yeah. That was all yeah. Jamari. No, we, You're welcome. It was Jamari's idea, and you know, he really you know, came up with the idea for it. And we just kind of yeah. wanted to give you know, audiences reasons why we liked the movie and why we enjoyed it. Um, and under one of my tweets that I made for that, there was a lot of you know, people I guess for the, you know, for lack of a better term, we'll call them dude bros, who like were very, you know, like had a lot of backlash, like, oh, you guys are just supporting this movie because it's diverse and, you know, you, you don't really, you know, actually care if the movie is good. And like, mm -hmm. I just wondered if you've seen any of that and if so, how do you feel about the idea that people are just supporting it because it's diverse? Um, because as I said earlier, we all really enjoyed Birds of Prey. The diversity obviously is an extra layer to it, but we thought it was great just on its own. So I was just wondering how you felt about that. Yeah, I mean, that is just an unfortunate reaction that I think any person of color <clears throat> has has received before, right? Like you don't, and it, and it hurts everyone. Um, it, right. You never want to feel like in any way that you, um, you know, you were, you were a recipient of something like affirmative action or people liking something purely because of the color of your skin or what it represents. And so certainly something that like, you know, I personally, um, you know, felt very odd about. And then to be, and then to have that reaction be taken to the extreme of like, this movie doesn't deserve to be um, critically claimed, even though it was, or appreciated, even though it was, besides the you know what it represented is so wrong and i think that 
you know, it's just a really tough challenge right now. And it's across the board, whether it's in superhero films or entertainment in general, um, because these are very challenging questions of we, there's a need for diversity. We need to, we need to be doing this. Um, diverse voices are the most interesting voices, I think, right now uh, because of the stories and the perspectives that they tell. But at the same time, there will always be this backlash from people, frankly, people who are probably scared of the edge and opportunities that they have had for, you know, decades, um, kind of losing ground on that. And then they want to assume that we are not worthy or capable of actually good work. And I think that is extremely offensive. I think it's wrong. I think it's offensive to the creator as well as to the fans mm -hmm. to insinuate that. And I, I can't, you know, I think we just all have, it's inevitable that kind of reaction happens, um, but we just have to brush that off the same way that, you know, we brush off racist comments. Right. Yes, I agree. Um, I totally agree. Um, so now uh, we're all just kind of going to go through and ask you the questions that we all came up with. So next up we have Q. So Q, did you want to go ahead and ask Kathy your question? Absolutely. Hello, Kathy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one of the most unique things about Birds of Prey was Cassandra's characterization in the movie. It was vastly different from her comic book counterpart where she was born and raised to be an assassin, a silent assassin that inevitably joins the Batman family and becomes Batgirl, whereas your version was very much more grounded and much more just a young kid in Gotham City getting and, you know, entrenched in all of this stuff and, you know, learning a lot from the birds and from Harley. So I just wanted to know, what was the thought process behind changing it up like that and just going in a completely different direction for this character to make her the like the heart and the impetus of the film? Sure. Well, you know, again, um, that was already in the script and the character was what it was in a way uh, by the time that I came on board. But I really like that because I think if you look at the way that the most popular and in a way um, like the most outstanding and longstanding DC characters, they go through so many different changes, um, you know, whether yeah. it's man or Joker or Harley or any of these characters, they continue to change and they can change from, you know, the 2D version of themselves in a comic book, into a movie, into a different movie, into, you know, and there's so many different ways that these characters get interpreted. So I, I appreciated that in this version, uh, what we needed was, and as you said, actually, you really touched upon it, was the heart of the movie. I've always said that, like, Cassandra Kane is, in a sense, the heart of the movie. She's the reason that all the women come right. together. It's she's the reason that Harley kind of has a change of heart and finds that, you know, and, and kind of realizes that maybe she is capable of, of, of love in a non-toxic way. And so she's such a linchpin for the movie, and she serves such an important role. And so for us, I think... That's the way, that's the role that we saw for Cassandra Kane. Um, and I really wanted a kid that just felt like a kid. I, you know, I think it was important to ground. This movie is very grounded in many ways, even though it has these crazy action sequences and these larger than life characters. But compared to some other, I guess, uh, comic book fare, let's just say, it is actually quite grounded. And we took a lot of uh, influence from the professional and that relationship uh, between a very unlikely pair, right? Um, and and so that was always a, um, that was just always a point, you know, of the script and, and something that we wanted to do with this film, which was like, let's strip these characters away from just like their superpowers and, and the sort of, you know, fancy schmancy elements of what makes them comic book characters, but actually dive in to what makes them human. That's, that's awesome. And that's so, really cool to hear about. Sorry, Q. That's really cool to hear that you pulled from the movie The Professional because I didn't ever think about that film when I was watching. But now that I, you say that, that's really actually very interesting and cool to hear. Well, thank you. Yeah, there's like very various odes. We have a shot actually um, in the the in the montage right before we get to the funhouse and Harley and um, Cass are walking away from camera and it's a wide 
and they're just walking away and then they finally kind of like dip below the um the road so you no longer can see them and that is actually oh yes a mirrored shot to a yeah. professional when they when they're walking up and you and then you see that's like, very cool yeah that's actually one of in our trailer reaction for the uh, for the birds of prey trailer we actually talked about how much we love that shot so yeah yeah that's one of our favorites <laughs> Yeah. And so my next question is, you know, just based off of how the movie ended, you know, with uh, with Renee and Dinah and Helena looking badass, walking off, kicking butt in Gotham and, you know, Harley and Cass going in another direction. Mm -hmm. Like, where would you want like like where would you want to see these characters go forward? And would you want to be the person to helm that, you know, their next adventures, whether it's together or solo or or what have you. <laughs> I I love these characters. I really do. I mean, you know, the movie was really set up as an origin story of sorts. And even, uh, as you notice, like, even the, the costumes become a little bit more like how they are in the comic books by the end of the movie, because that's really the origin story of Huntress, the origin story of Canary, of Renee Montoya, as we know it, right? And so they become a little bit more familiar in that way. They start to wear some of the, like, the, the colors that we're used to from the comics. Um, and so I'm, I'm eager to definitely see where that goes with the kind of characterizations that we introduced in the movie, like having, you know, I, I'm really eager to see, you know, what happens with Huntress now that she's kind of opened up a little bit and, um, and, but she's still kind of like a baby yeah. newborn in other ways. Like she's still like figuring yeah. out how to engage with people and, and what her sense of humor is. And, and, and Mary Elizabeth Winston did such a good job with that. And, you know, I think we leave a lot to, to sort of lean into, hopefully, with all of these characters. Um, I'm eager to see what happens with Renee now that she's no longer, you know, kind of chained or cuffed by the police. Um, and, and I'm eager to see what happens with Canary now that she's really discovered her voice and her power. So a lot the women that we kind of introduce in the movie are quite broken in the beginning. They're really just like a former version of themselves. They haven't come into their own or their power yet. So it's kind of set up so that we so they become the more powerful birds of prey in the next iteration of it. And I'm simultaneously eager to see what happens with Harley. And, you know, now that she's kind of discovered her soul. I've always said that this this movie is as much about like Harley, you know, fighting for her soul, um, especially with her relationship with Cass. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how much, you know, still can claim her as an anti-hero, um, but getting to see both sides of her, the light and the dark, and then where she goes from there. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Awesome. You're welcome. Um, so next... So next up, we have Aaron. Uh, so Aaron, if you want to go ahead and ask your question. Hello, Kathy. Um, one, hi. one of the things that I personally love uh, just about the movie was how you approached Gotham, you and the, the crew approached Gotham, because, you know, you know, since you know comic books, there's a, you know, a longstanding joke that Gotham's only seen at night. But, you know, showing it in daytime, you know, that was that was very bold of you because that's only, you know, only in the Nolan films. And what I would like to know is the way you and the crew approached Gotham City, um, was that, did you pick up off of where uh, David Aver, David Ayer um, did with Suicide Squad? Because, you know, it's very similar. Or was that something you did during pre-production? Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit of both, I would say. I think there was is has been an overwhelming sense of Gotham. Uh, certainly, a got Batman's Gotham, which typically you think of you know, tall, dark towers of power, very like Art Deco, um, you know, or like as I would call it, um, sometimes like Chicago at night. <laughs> right. And that was that was the aesthetic for quite some time. But then before that, and certainly in the comics, that's not the way that Gotham is often portrayed. Certainly with you know the, like the New Fifty Two version of Harley that we took a lot of inspiration from. It's a lot more colorful. You know, she's in Coney Island. It's more of a beach like situation. Um, and I realized how much the way that we think of Gotham is so much. Um, 
like shaped by the perspective of one character that's Batman. And so when we're in Batman's purview or world, the entire Gotham feels like his Gotham. And that makes sense because we're in his perspective and uh, the most pop- most of the most popular um, Gotham set movies have been Batman. Uh, but even then, if you go back to Joe Schumacher stuff or you go back to, um, you know, the, there was an element of exaggeratedness or colorfulness that had happened before. But I think right. just in the previous, you know, 10, 15 years, the, the Gotham that we're used to was a very dark, serious, um, manly, you know, (laughs) and, and then it made me think like, well, we're not in Batman's Gotham. We're not at all in Batman's Gotham. We're not even Batman's head. We're actually, Batman has nothing to do with this movie. And so if we liberate ourselves from that perspective, like what else could we do with Gotham? And so it really opened it up to a very different type of Gotham, which was fun. And I think I always described it as, it's more out outer boroughs, you know, if Gotham mm-hmm. is New York, um, then Batman is Manhattan and we're more Queens or outer Brooklyn. Um, and it's got soul to it. It's it, it, I likened it to New York in the 70s and the 80s where nothing really worked. And there was a lot of shit and a lot of crime and a lot of whatnot. At the same time, it was like extremely creative and fun. And you and and you know, you can have both of those things. And I was kind of sick of seeing Gotham um, depicted in a certain way, so moody and so dark and so serious. I just kind of wanted to shake it up a little bit. And it felt more like Harley. Absolutely. And I, I really respect that uh, from you and uh, Christina Hodson. You know, I, I love how you just, you know, you came out of the gate with Dead Pigs. I love that movie, by the way. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'm a, a screenwriter of color myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know and I think, you know, as well, just how difficult it is in Hollywood, unfortunately, for a lot of us to get in, you know, just in you know, different facets of Hollywood. So my other question for you is, what do you think should be done for people of color to advance in all facets of Hollywood? Because, you know, we we have to get our voices out. Absolutely. Honestly, I've been thinking a lot about that, and I don't know if there's any, like, succinct answer, but uh, I think, you know, I think we're in this weird growing pains right now of Hollywood. I think that, like, the people at top, a lot of the decision makers, the gate, um, the gatekeepers are still mm-hmm. of a certain ilk. They're, you know, predominantly white. They're predominantly male, and they're predominantly old. And then you have this like upcoming generation that is a little bit more diverse. Um, but then they're still somewhat influenced, unfortunately, by the way that everything used to work. And so we're at this weird juncture right now. And certainly, I experienced it firsthand on this movie, where it seemed we had aspirations to be young and diverse and and I certainly did everything I could to make it so. But at the same time, you know, there's a lot of conservative elements um, to it and to the decision making of it because of the old guard, let's call it that. And so, you know, I think all you all we really can do is 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 start realizing that it's not a token thing, you know, like oh, you can't pat yourself on the back if there's like one black writer in the room or whatever it is, or like, I, I, I will not be used as like the diversity quotient so that people don't think that like, you know, yes. it's to be compete, like to compete, to feel like I'm competing with someone else, uh, like some other Asian woman because there's only like two allowed in, in Hollywood. You know, I think we have to get, like quickly get past that um, to the point where, like, there's just so many of us that, like, it we it no longer feels like, you know, that the color of our skin completely determines um, everything that we do. And so we have to get there. And the only way to get there, I think, is kind of the way that I think, frankly, um, people are starting to realize other institutions in America have to get there, which is not just these small little reforms, but kind of to, you know, bring it all down. Um, there's, there's a lot of institutions and, and thinking in Hollywood right now that is like, o- like overly conservative and it's an old boys club. And like until we can break that power structure, um, it, it's always going to just be this like 
the diversity checkbox. Um, so that's how I feel. And I think that like, I think uh, there are a lot of people in my generation um, that are starting to have some power in Hollywood that also feel that way. And hopefully there's a lot we can do. We can highlight more, more writers and directors and creators of color. We can hire them not as the diversity person, but as an entire room full of people like that. Um, and I think we just have to like break down these old um, ways of doing things and these old power structures that are no longer relevant in, in this new era. Absolutely. Thank, thank you so much, because that is very refreshing to hear. <laughs> You're welcome. I talk a lot about it, and it makes me very angry, too. It really yeah. Um, well, thank you for that, Kathy. I think we can all agree on that one. Um, so the next uh, person we have with questions for you is Jamari, or our, one of our resident Harley fans. <laughs> uh, so Jamari, if you want to go ahead. Hi, Kathy. Um, Hi. So my question is, um, basically, so leading up to the film, one of the criticisms that we saw um, came at Margot Robbie for choosing the Birds of Prey over Harley's well-known girl gang, the Gotham City Sirens. Mm -hmm. There are claims that people were saying that she wanted all the spotlight, she had an ego. So I just wanted to know, what are your overall thoughts on, like, these claims and also as Mar on um, Margot Robbie as a producer. Right. Well, that is such bullshit. Um, Margot has no ego about that. She's <laughs> her entire career, you know, trying to support women. And, and she really has. I mean, you know, look at everything she's done with her production company. She's really done that. Um, and I honestly would not have been hired either if she didn't believe in me or think that, like, someone with one feature film under her belt could actually make a movie like this. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's part of that, like, it's frankly part of that, like, <laughs> scummy under <laughs> under underworld of so-called journalism where I don't mm -hmm. even know right. start. It's, it's, it's really, it's so backhanded and unfortunate um, and, and, and downright mean to claim that about her, but also, like, very backhanded to all, to the other women, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, oh, she didn't want to take, like, she didn't want to share her spotlight, so are you insinuating that Rosie Perez is not a fucking star? Or mm -hmm. it's, it's like, it's just all around very um, insulting to to not just Margaret, but to everybody. Um, and the, the very easy answer to that is, frankly, there was another movie in development for Gotham City Sirens. There's always a ton of ideas that are in development, many of Ooh. which make it to light. But like, you know, they're, because DC is going to do, DC has such a big library of possible characters. And so it is um, honestly wise of them to be developing a d bunch of different uh, types of movies based off of different characters. Okay, so next person we have with questions for you is Haley. Um, they're a big Harley fan. So, Haley, you want to go ahead? Sure. Hi, Kathy. <laughs> so, um, I had a question about, so during production and leading up to the film, um, we had heard that there were gonna be um, Jared Leto's Joker like cut out scenes from Suicide Squad used in the film to like show the toxicity, a little bit more of a darker edge than what we saw in the theatrical cut of Suicide Squad. I wanted to know, had you filmed, and if you're able to say, had you filmed any new scenes with Jared Leto's Joker and of the Leto Joker scenes, and the scraps from Suicide Squad, um, none ended up in the film. And what influenced that final decision to just cut that whole that whole visual side of the narrative and leave it in just as, you know, um, what we saw in the final film? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we never worked with Jared. He was, it was never, I, there was never actually any um, intent to. And it really was... Okay. You know, it was really about this movie being about Harley's separation from the joke. So right. it, never really, it wasn't about him, and bringing him in just felt um, wrong. It didn't feel like it had anything to do with the movie, really, and the whole point was the emancipation of one Harley Quinn. And so, like, dwelling on this toxic relationship just didn't seem right for the movie. 
Um, but then, you know, we realized that right. we did have this opportunity to use some of the footage that was available from Suicide Squad as these quick flashes of memory that we use, you know, when Harley's driving into Ace Chemicals. And that I was really excited about. Um, that wasn't something in the script. It was something we sort of figured out later okay. in, in editing of like, how can we just remind people very quickly and very viscerally um, what what that relationship was like? And, and as she's thinking about this, she's driving towards Ace Chemicals and it felt like much more immediate way um, for her to um, essentially, you know, um, destroy those memories. And so I really liked being able to use that. And thankfully, right. oh, it was still Margo <laughs> and she still looked recognizable. And it, you know, it was very nice to be able to use that footage. Yeah, I like the way that you did that with the quick flashes. I really like that a lot. And I like the final decision, too, because you're right. It is about the emancipation and and there's so much there's so much to that. My second question was, um, as this movie is pretty much centered around Harley Quinn, um, how and what drew, being a Harley Quinn fan myself, how and what drew you so much to Harley Quinn as a fan first and as a filmmaker? And out of all the different team-ups, crossovers, comic storylines, and renditions of her, you know, almost 30 years of being a character, what made you, um, well, this might also be a question for, the, for Christina, but what made you guys kind of decide for the Birds of Prey to cross over with Harley Quinn and, um, and as Huntress, Black Canary, and Renee Montoya to pair up with her and even Cass? What was um, your influence? And also, what was your draw to Harley as a fan, too? Well, I love Harley Quinn. I mean, I think she's just such a dynamic and interesting um, character. She's both very vulnerable, but also extremely um, powerful and strong and, yes. and wicked. <laughs> and she's all of these different things. And I think she's like a very, you know, she can be interpreted as both um, like an, an icon of feminism, but also <laughs> in some ways in the, the opposite of that, which I find extremely interesting um and she just seemed real in a way that I think a lot of DC characters seem real if you really yes. get it, right it, she's not perfect and none of these women are perfect and that was something I really wanted to focus on about bringing the humanity into these characters so that like yes they are heroes um the birds of prayer obviously heroes um more than they are villains but that they also you know, immature sometimes, or they're mean, or they have bad days, and they, they're just imperfect. And I think that's extremely important. Um, I think in many ways, more powerful as role models, uh, role model figures and role model characters for young women than when they're so perfect that it's unattainable and aspirational, and it makes you feel bad about yourself. And right. so that Harley was great, because like, she never made me feel bad about being a woman. I always felt like I could empathize with her, and then I yes. could on um, in a way that frankly even someone you know like when you're so perfect like Wonder Woman like I I'm just constantly like she's too perfect I don't know what to do with you and and I think with Harley there was always the sense that she could be your best friend or crazy you know that crazy neighbor um, down the street and I always love that about her so yeah and I think with the birds there's an element of that too of like let's find a really diverse group of women um, that had that could kind of fit into this world where they all had their different personalities. And uh, Margot spoke about this too, but like with the birds, because it, it could shift in and out and there's so many different characters that have right. part of Birds of Prey over the years, it gave us a little more flexibility in terms of who we could choose. And it also frankly allowed us to be more, di more diverse in the casting because there is a Renee Montoya, you know, and it was important mm -hmm. that she could represent a um you know the first lesbian um on you know in, in a in a major superhero movie um and that she happens to be latina and we, we cast this on like rosie perez so who's a bit older and so that like diversity of perspectives and personalities was so was very important to us as well and birds of prey kind of allowed us to do all that yeah, I love that whole dynamic. And you're right, Harley has, she's just such a character that acts with her heart and she's not afraid to be sad or to be affected or to react. And that's really what like I love about her so much. And she just, she really just leads with her heart. So I really love the way you did her too. So thank you. <laughs> um, also, before we move on to the next person, I just want to say um, as a 
someone who's queer myself, I thought that, you know, having Renee be, like, a character, you know, focusing on her relationship with her ex, I thought that was, like, that made me feel, like, really good. So <laughs> I just wanted to say thank you guys for including that in the movie. And also with Harley at the beginning, you know, in the animation, so. <laughs> well, next up, we have Key uh, with questions for you. Um, hi. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm nervous. I don't know why. Okay. What was the reason to kill off Black Mask? Like, <laughs> just, I, I gotta know for my own, you know, personal Sit, you know, my own personal mind. <laughs> Honestly, I don't even know. I mean, if you just killed off, um, and it, like, I don't know. I really love him. I love you and playing Black Mask. Um, we, you know, obviously he needed to be um, to to be defeated, um, and then we just played right. around with like how much, and it just, you know, it. There was there are versions of it where it was much more mysterious, but it didn't feel like it gave the satisfaction that you would want at the end of the movie if like he just disappeared in the water and it's a little bit unclear, you know. And so we just played around with it. But I love that character. I love what Ewan did with it, and I completely understand that people are sad that we that he that he was killed off in that way and and killed off so definitively. Um, but that said, you know, you never know. I mean, there could be a prequel. There could be whatever. Like, I wouldn't get to, um, oh. you know, I wouldn't. I, and, and I'm not saying this not at all knowing what what's happening or, like, what the studio wants to do with it. But all to say that, like, it was never a big issue for the studio um, whether to kill a certain character off or not. They, I think they always feel like, there's always an opportunity to resurrect someone in some way if um, if it makes sense. Right. Awesome. Okay. Um, next up, we have Tabitha. So, Tab, do you want to go ahead with your questions? Yeah. Um, hi, Kathy. Uh, my question I have for you is um, Birds of Prey has been praised by critics and audience as this, like, kick-ass female-driven movie that's like specifically doesn't cater to a male audience, like, you know, the male gaze. Um, was that intentional when you guys were developing the movie, when you joined? And um, yeah, was that intentional for you when, when you joined the movie? Like, I just think that was awesome. And I would like to know the, your proce the process behind, you know, that. I don't know if it was deliberate. I don't, it certainly was not a deliberate sort of like, fuck you, male gaze. We're going to, you know, <laughs> deliberately <laughs> opposite, um, which I think says more, right? That like male gaze is often so insidious and so implicit and so instinctual. Um, and that's just shaped by the director, the cameraman, the DP, everyone around, but most significantly, I think the director, um, the gender of the director is often like I'm not constantly thinking like what's a feminine way to shoot this or like what is you know what is my feminist like you know gut telling me to do it's more like well I am a woman and my entire purview and, and uh, perspective and my like view on the world is you know of a woman and so therefore it's going to just like be and it's going to be intrinsically so and so it was up it was definitely less deliberate than that and I think we could say the same thing about the male gaze like I think sometimes it's a little unfair to be like well these men are like deep misogynists for doing this it's more like well you're men and therefore you probably are just thinking of, of shooting it that way you know and like and some of it feels very specific and, and deliberate but a lot of it is is more intrinsic and that is something that we just have to recognize like many injustices that we're all recognizing is like just the way that movies were shaped um for like you know up until a few years ago <laughs> frankly um and that's just the way it was and so i think yeah it was less deliberate than and, and, and intentional and it was more just like well it i'm a woman and this is just kind of how it is and i, I think it was definitely a way to um honor and depict these women in a way that felt 
real so that they felt flawed but powerful at the same time that they weren't getting objectified or sexualized that like the jokes and, and these little details were like you know things that were um, pulled from my experience as a woman in the world um, and then it just kind of went from there and so it was less like a reaction to a male gaze and more like well how can we just do it differently in the way that we want to do it Right. <laughs> um, my next question um, is about the Black Mask Club scene. Mm -hmm. um, there's a particular scene in the movie that's extremely striking. Um, I, not to brag, I saw the movie six times, but that's besides the point. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, each time I've seen it, it's always a scene that just leaves me speechless. And, um, and I find that when I talk to other people about the movie, they say the same thing. Um, I want to know, was that, what was the, what was that like behind the, like, you're the director, what was that like seeing that from a director's view, and what was that like on set? It must have been, it must have been a lot. I just want to know what, what was it like to process that? I'm, I'm an audience viewer, so I'd like to know the perspective from a director's view and everyone else on set, what it was like. Yeah, it was really uncomfortable. It was extremely uncomfortable. It was extremely powerful. We shot it in the first week that, of the shoot. Um, so oh, wow. Um, I mean, both Ewan and Boyana, who played the woman, are incredibly talented and professional. So I, I wasn't worried that it would get, like, too uncomfortable. Um, but it was, I, I believe that, like, unless you feel it on set, you're, you can't really recreate it in the editing. And so we had to do it. We had to, right. to do it until it, you know, it went on for a long time. Boyana was an incredible sport about it. And we just did it until it felt the way that it needed to feel. And so it was extremely uncomfortable watching the monitor, as it was for a lot of us. I, I think I remember, like, Christina Hudson, like, crying watching it. And I think, oh, my goodness. Wow. And so... In a weird way, like as a director, you're kind of like, yes, I got it, <laughs> you know? Um, so so that's weird, but it's also like, if I'm feeling this way, then that means I succeeded in the way. And that was always a test for the scene of like, it's meant to make you feel uncomfortable. And like a lot of people aren't gonna like the scene, but it doesn't mean you cut it. Um, it actually means that it's doing exactly what it's meant to do. Um, and so that was something that, you know, frankly, we had to fight continue fighting for because it's so easy to go like oh well it makes me uncomfortable or like you know people didn't like the scene so we should just cut the scene but it's like yeah no it's actually sometimes those are the exact scenes that you need to keep in a movie um and then I remember Ewan was so so good and like just did his thing and then after every take he would like go up to Boyan and be like are you okay are you okay I'm so sorry um but everyone took it really seriously and I think um, I was, I was, you know, as a director, I couldn't be happier with the results of it. Thank you. Yeah, um, we, you know, we talked about that thing in our review that we really enjoyed it and we thought it was really uncomfortable, but in a good way. So, um, thank you for answering that. Um, and the final person that we have to ask questions for you today is Mike. Um, so Mike, if you want to wrap it up for us. All right. Um, thank you for coming on, Kathy. Uh, my question is simple. I just want to know, what was your first reaction to seeing everybody in their costumes? And how did you feel seeing everybody dressed up and seeing these iconic characters come to life? It was pretty incredible, for sure. I mean, you know, costumes and makeup, everything, it just transforms the actors into the characters so well and we had camera tests and those camera tests ended up getting turned into that sizzle reel that um, was publicized you know long before we even went into production um, it was to oh, that yeah. right to that moderat song and I and those were amazing camera tests um, I actually created like a playlist for all of these characters and so these camera tests became more than just a test for camera and lighting and costumes but honestly the first the first real toe dip for, for the actors to like be able to feel out these characters. Um, and so as a director, it's obviously very exciting. I think it's even more exciting for an actor in a way because until that point, they're just Ewan McGregor, they're just Margot Robbie, or they're just you know Rosie Perez. But they put the, the clothes on, they put the makeup on, 
they had the right music and I made sure that like the music really felt like their character would encourage the elements of those char the character that um, I wanted them to play up. Um, and it just clicked, you know, we gave them props and it's incredible. Nice. I just shot like for, we just shot so much material. Um, there's an incredible like full length, um, uh, you know, full length um, camera test of Journey singing. Um, and it, you know, it just like, you're like, you're, I'm watching, I'm watching this character now. And so that was really, really exciting and getting to do it sort of back to back. And then being able to like kind of share it with the world was also very exciting. Nice. I think it's dope that you made everybody a playlist to be comfortable once they were in full costume and to actually be in character and actually can jam out to performing well in front of the camera while they're doing the, the screen test and everything. My next question was going to be, uh, what was your favorite scene to actually shoot and bring to life? Ooh. Hmm. So many. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, for me, I like the really meaty, dramatic scenes. So, like, in a weird way, I really enjoyed shooting that scene with Black Mask at the club with the dancing woman. It, you know, like, I like scenes where um, the acting is king and it kind of, you know, it surprises me. I really enjoyed the scene where Harley um, gets uh, sort of stabbed in the back or stabbed in the front, I should say, by Doc, you know, and that's mm. an emotional scene. Um, I think a lot of those scenes for me, um, you know, I, I, paint, I come from the indie world, like there's, some, there's something fun about the action for sure, but it gets a little bit like rote um, because you just have to keep doing it and it's more about getting it right and perfection, but I personally enjoy being surprised by my actors um, and that, like we find a moment that like just works for the character or works for that scene that may not have been on the page. I mean, Chris, uh, Chris Messina was amazing at that, like at improv. Um, so was Mondo, so was Ewan, so was Mary actually. And those tend to be my favorite moments. It's like, oh my God, we like found this really special thing or this energy or like this extra glance. Um, her behavior um, that just feels so right and like and magical, um, and that's the sort of stuff that goes well beyond the script, and is the is the sort of stuff that I think you try to foster as a director. Nice, I like that. Appreciate you for answering and coming on. Thank you. You're welcome. Yes, thank you so much. Absolutely. Yes, thank you. Um, so those are all the questions that we have for you. Um, before you go, I just wanted to ask you, um, is there any upcoming projects that you're working on that you want to let people know so we can support? Because we definitely want to support everything you're doing. So. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, we've got a lot of stuff in development, actually. Um, and, you know, I'm working on, I'm currently writing a movie called Sour Hearts, and that's with A24. Uh, it's it's almost it's quasi autobiographical it's also based on this beautiful book uh, called sour heart and it's um it's a coming of age story about uh, a chinese american family in uh, basically my life uh, in yes. uh, so that's really fun and super personal but also um if you know enough about me now is the opposite of like the typical polite good asian american immigrant story this is not none of those things this is like kind of wild and um brash and you know and it's got a lot of attitude um so i'm looking forward to that and i'm looking forward to showing a very very different side to the, like the immigrant story to the american dream story that we haven't really seen before um yeah and then my first movie dead pigs will be coming out soon as well so um for those who haven't been able to catch that, which are, is almost everybody, <laughs> uh, you'll be able to catch it soon. So I'm excited about that too. Um, and it feels especially prescient, even though I made it four, five, four years ago now, it feels especially prescient now um, as it truly discusses, you know, this this virus that, or this, this unknown phenomenon, I should say, that um, comes out of China. <laughs> and and the- uh, Oh, wow. That. 
Um, so yeah, I've got a few things coming up, but I would say that like all of them are very focused on diverse voices, diverse stories, um, and trying to do that feels more authentic and more real and more unabashed than the sort of like polite, um, like, you know, white people get to pat themselves on the back for watching kind of movie that has existed before. Basically exploding the right. idea of tokenism, you know, again. <laughs> That's awesome. I I'm also excited. just want to say, yeah, me as well. I also just want to say how crazy of a coincidence that is about dead pigs, like, you know, with everything going on right now. Um, I know you're probably, you know, like, that's crazy that it's coming out during the, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic and everything. Yep, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, well, with that said, um, that is all we have for you today. So uh, once again, thank you so much for coming on. You know, yes, thank you so initial, much. And our initial, you know, interaction with you, we were just like all freaking out because, you know, this is just, as we said, we really loved the movie. We thought that it was amazing. We thought that you guys did a fantastic job adapting these characters. And so from the bottom of our hearts, everybody, we, we just want to say not only thank you for coming, but thank you so much for the movie. Um, yes, and, and we wish you all the best going forward. Yeah, I love that you guys are doing this. I love that you're representing um, you know, people who are different than, I guess, what you would think of as like the dude bros of comic books. Um, and honestly, we made movie for people like you. This, this is exactly the type of people that I was hoping would understand Birds of Prey, would love Birds of Prey, and would um, you know, what, what would want and support Birds of Prey. So um, I knew you guys all. I knew you guys existed. I'm really glad to be able to actually talk to you guys. Um, and I hope there's a lot more of you because what you're doing is awesome. Right. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. So thank awesome you. to hear that. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes. Um, well, before you go, um, did you want to just let everyone know where they can find you on social media? Well, I'm, tw uh, I'm tweeting these days. Um, it's Kathy Ann. <laughs> <laughs> and I also am Kathy Ann on Instagram as well. Okay. Um, well, thank you so much, Kathy, once again, and it was wonderful talking to you. You too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye, all. All right. Bye. 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 See you later. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> all right. So that was our interview with Kathy Ann. Uh, it was so great to talk to her. Um, so before we go, I just wanted to briefly say that, you know, we, every one of us here at Worlds of DC have, you know, seen everything that's going on in the country right now as far as, you know, the police brutality and, you know, uh, killings that have taken place. And we just want to say that we stand with all of the protesters, that we wholeheartedly support uh, Black Lives Matter, and that, you know, we're praying for better, you know, times for our community, Black communities and communities of color. So... Um, all right. So with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap this episode up. Um, my name, I'm the host of the show. My name is Mikey, and you can find me on Twitter at Mikey underscore talks, uh, discussing politics, DC-related stuff, anything that you pretty much, you know, can think of I'm talking about. Um, so you can find me there. And, yeah. You guys want to go ahead and say your social media? Yeah, my name is Haley, and you can find me on Twitter at Lucifina with two underscores, L-U-C-I-F-I-N-A, and the same for Instagram. You can find me on Twitter uh, talking a lot about DC, about Amy Winehouse, and my life. <laughs> All right, guys, um, I'm Key, and before I give my info, I just want to say you guys just keep making noise because making noise works. Like, we have seen so much have changed since this whole processing has started. We have seen more stuff change than we ever have before any of these other protests. So keep making noise. I promise it works. Also, you guys can find me at Kerstin Lannister, K-E-R-S-E-I Lannister on Twitter. And my Instagram, K-E-I underscore Levon, L-Y-V-O-N-N-E. I mostly talk about anything really on my Twitter. So just catch me on a good day, I guess. <laughs>
uh, Tabitha here, and you guys can find me on my Twitter at Tab Casey, T A B C A S E Y Y Y. So that's three Y's. Um, same on Instagram, and I mostly talk about Superman. This is the best superhero ever. So if you're into that, follow me. Hey, I'm Mike. You can follow me on Twitter at uh, underscore oddgeek. And yeah. I'm Jamari. You can find me on Twitter at Jamari Writes or on my Harley Quinn updates account, Harley Movie News. And I'm Aaron. You can find me at Aaron Michael underscore J. And you'll be getting a lot of political um, information if you follow me or just decide to read me. So, you know, come on through. And yes, um, I've been Kwamani slash Q. Um, and you can find me on the Twitters at Kwaman Star G, capital Q U A, capital M O N S T A R, capital G. And on the Twitters, you can find me tweeting about wrestling, DC, Power Rangers, re video games, general stuff like that of that nature. Um, I'm on Instagram at Kwaman Star and all lower, lower cases Q U A M O N S T A R. And as always, you can find me and my brother on Into the Cuniverse every Sunday on Facebook Live, where we talk about everything geeky, gamey, and nerdy, as well as our YouTube channel, Into the Cuniverse. All right. So with that, we can go ahead and wrap up this episode. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you to all the people who, you know, encouraged us to go ahead and talk to Kathy and uh, we appreciate our listeners so much and we just want to say that we're so grateful for you especially right now during this time of quarantine with everything going on and all right I guess that concludes our episode everyone have a great rest of your day or whatever time it is where you are and everybody say bye see you later bye, bye. Take it easy. thank you Kathy Black yes. Lives Matter always thank you Kathy <laughs>